0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tucson Festival of Books podcast.
1: The Tucson Festival of Books is Tucson's gift to literature and literacy throughout the Southwest. Both the festival and this podcast are made possible by the more than 200 sponsors and 1,200 local volunteers, many of whom work all year long toward one magical weekend in March. Special thanks
0: go out to our three presenting sponsors, the Arizona Daily Star, the
1: University of Arizona, and Tucson Medical Center. And to all of our many sponsors and many volunteers, a huge thank you as well.
0: I'm Jessica Pride, romance enthusiast and occasional reader of suspense thrillers. Today, we're in conversation with writer extraordinaire Alyssa Cole, who appeared at the Tucson Festival of Books in 2019, and we have the matching stuffed javelinas to prove it.
1: I am actually sitting on my javelina. (laughs) I keep it behind me on my office chair as like lumbar support, Um, very cute lumbar support. (laughs) That is perfect.
0: So for those who are unfamiliar, Alyssa Cole is an award-winning and critically acclaimed author of contemporary suspense and historical contemporary and sci-fi romance. Her contemporary rom-com, A Princess in Theory, was one of New York Times' 100 Notable Books of 2018. Her newest book, When No One Is Watching, comes out in September. And am I correct in saying that it was moved up a couple weeks to September 1st?
1: Yes, it was moved up because I guess people wanted to read it earlier, which is great. (laughs) That's exciting.
0: That's always exciting.
1: (laughs) Yes. So,
0: Alyssa, I have been reading your romance novels for years. You've sort of been able to fit any kind of universe into a romance novel, but this is your first official thriller. How long
1: have you wanted to do that, and why now? Well, I've always kind of been into... I feel like my romances, even my romantic comedies have like a mystery element mm-hmm. to them um and my first novel was actually Romantic Suspense uh it's currently not available but it was Romantic Suspense and it was like a dark romantic suspense which is why <laughs> I have I have the rise to it I just haven't put it back out because I'm like oh, I don't know it's a bit dark for romance um <laughs> but it was like the first novel that I ever completed and it, It was about uh, the Albanian mafia, Brooklyn school teacher who gets involved with the Albanian mafia because of one of her students. And the hero is an Albanian CIA agent. And like, there's a lot of their mafia, dark things going on. And, you know, I, of course, still like the story, but I just felt like it was a little dark for romance. Uh, I mean, there is dark romance, but it's dark for what I write. So... This thriller, in a way, is kind of a way I really got to lean more into that element, the suspense element that I enjoy in all of my writing. Mm -hmm. And also I got to dive a bit more into the darker side of things. Right. In a way that I feel like, you know, my romances and lots of romances that I enjoy do explore, you know, heavy topics. But I feel like there's just, I was able to come at it from a different angle than I would if it was a romance. And it was just cool getting to try something different um, and getting to kind of explore this new genre. Because for me, honestly, one of the reasons that I love romance, and I've said this, you know, multiple times, is that for as long as I've been writing, since I was a kid, I've tended to write like some really dark shit. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry for cursing. But with romance, there's, in a way, no matter how bad it gets there's a happily ever after Mm -hmm. aspect that kind of keeps you going so for me as someone who kind of veers toward that direction naturally romance is kind of like the happily ever after is kind of like balances things out even though I don't write as dark as I have in this thriller I guess so exploring thrillers for me is a way to kind of you know, I grew up reading like Mary Higgins Clark and mm-hmm. Stephen King, Tom Clancy, all the, you know, all the things the 90s kids were stealing from their parents' bookshelves. Right. Um, I've always kind of been interested in this aspect, too. And it was just fun for me to kind of get to actually kind of explore things that are the result of writing my historical romances, okay. but explore them in a different medium, because the story is kind of born like you know it's said that it's get out meets rear window which it is in a way Mm -hmm. yeah but I also think for me I feel like it's what get out is really about and not what people think get out is about (laughs) if that (laughs) makes sense because like at a point when I was writing it I was like asking people like what do you think get out is about Mm -hmm. and I feel like depending on who you ask <laughs> you can get a different response and sometimes that line is are you asking a black person or are you asking a white person so i th- i feel like and there is also what it has come to represent in pop culture which is not necessarily what it's actually about right <laughs> so i i got to you know that obviously resonated with me and i also got to explore Because I've written in like so many different eras of American history from the Revolutionary War to following the Revolutionary War to the Civil War to, you know, 1917 Mm -hmm. to women's suffrage and the civil rights movement and finding all the things that I haven't written about, but that I've stumbled across while researching and want to write about, but obviously have not had time or found the right story to do so. And there's just so much stuff that as you're reading all of these things of how um Black Americans and Americans from marginalized groups and immigrants and Native Americans and how all of these groups were treated, at a certain point, you start to be like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> like I mean, obviously, yes, but, like, you just start – you see the same things happening over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it makes you feel like a little, you know, like what is going on here? So I've spoken to you before, I'm pretty sure, about um An Unconditional Freedom, which was the last book in my Loyal League series, which is Civil War Espionage. hmm and which I often refer to as the book that tried to kill me, which is, it's a romance, but it's pretty dark. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's one of the most intense things I've ever written. And for me, when, one of the things that sucked was that it was history. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't give it the ending that I wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, no spoilers, but if you have read it or if you're going to read it, I had to stick to some level of historical accuracy, um, especially since people are always trying to find some flaw in, in book historical fiction written by and featuring black characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I really wanted to be like, let's just take this into alternate universe, but I couldn't. Right. So I was <laughs> in a way the story is kind of dealing for me is kind of a way of processing some of the things I went through. I mean, I didn't really think about this as when I came up with the idea, but as I was writing it, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's basically, it's about, um, this woman who is from Brooklyn. She has moved away. She got married. The marriage failed. She came back. She had gone through something. She thinks everything's going to be great now that she's back in Brooklyn, but everything is changing
0: mm-hmm. and
1: is different and feels off. And one of the things she does to kind of get control of the situation is she decides to do her own historical tour of the neighborhood. As she's researching things, as she's seeing what's going on in the present, she starts to put some things together that maybe the changes in the neighborhood aren't as straightforward as people would have you think. So for me, it was kind of a way of exploring American history, uh, exploring Black American history, which I, you know, is kind of something that is an important part of my writing Mm -hmm. um, and kind of reasserting (laughs) our presence because we've been there from the very beginning. Right. Like, you know, literally the beginning. And uh, (laughs) how we're kind of often written out of all aspects of history or only there as someone like picking cotton in the background which you know and there's nothing wrong I mean obviously there is something wrong with slavery but I don't feel like there's anything wrong with representing slavery and fiction that's a whole other thing to get into but I do feel like our stories have we have these so many stories to be told right and they all kind of get erased by the history books by what history has decided to be important and you know obviously there have been historians who have been documenting these histories for years and in recent years have been really starting to get more attention thanks to the internet and uh, social media and the ability to share these things
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah part of it it's like it's a thriller but it's also about how much america sucks
0: <laughs> right <laughs> Right. I think at some point I saw you say either read or heard because you've been doing a lot of appearances recently. You refer to when no one is watching as sort of a gentrification thriller. And it feels like that's kind of what being black in America feels like. It's just like a gentrification thriller of this cycle of showing up and prospering and being a race and showing up and prospering and being a race yeah. and sl- showing up and prospering and being a race um just for the past 400 years and then this book hits and wow I gotta tell you reading this now is very different than it might have been oh. reading it six months ago <laughs> even
1: what <laughs> Le- yeah I mean I have not really said that much about it because I don't know how to talk about it without it sounding like some kind of weird promo. Right. But it has been really weird and overwhelming because seeing all of these things play out, and yet one of my friends was reading the book and she was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Sorry, I <keep> cursing you. <laughs> Sorry, but she was like, "This is like way too on the nose." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, "And this has been like a running." kind of a running joke with me and my friends because of, like, stuff that happened in the Reluctant Royals mm-hmm. that then happened in real life, you know, with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Mm-hmm. Uh, with people being like, oh, you based this character on them. I'm like, no, no, no. I
0: had already <laughs> written them.
1: <laughs> they, uh, yeah, and then, like, the unfortunate writing a book about, a series about the Confederacy, and suddenly, like, neo-confederates popping up on the scene so not always in a good way thank you megan and harry for <laughs> being like the the bright spot in that and like you know the stories of um black american women who find out that they are engaged to african princes uh, who like they met at random places those stories always also make me happy but uh, i feel like this is kind of like one of those things where I was writing what I was feeling what I was feeling was affected by everything that was going on and what's happening now is the result of many people feeling the same way Mm -hmm. and getting tired of these things being hidden and not being addressed but yeah I mean it is its strange to see it playing out at the same time as having to talk about this book (laughs) right you know and think about like oh okay yeah or just like constantly seeing things and like you know it was really sobering for me the other day when I saw there was a press release about the no-knock warrant that had been served for Breonna Taylor Mm -hmm. who you know was killed at home in her bed by undercover cops uh, and it was a warrant for the wrong they were in the wrong place and all of the trauma that has come from that and i saw something that said the warrant was part of this thing that the city is doing they're trying to clear basically trying to clear this historically african-american neighborhood and it was like served basically as part of this like gentrification plan Mm -hmm. and i was just like (laughs) you know yes (laughs) because it's one thing that has just been so fascinating to me is seeing you know the book has been getting great reviews and people tag me in the great reviews and sometimes seeing people saying like oh it's an exaggerated look at and I'm just like is it exaggerated <laughs> like I'm seeing this stuff every day I wish it was more exaggerated than it was mm. I guess is what I'm saying so yeah it's it's been pretty uh, surreal in a great way but unfortunately i think it's kind of just the result of america being the way it is
0: indeed i can totally totally see that
1: but on a
0: more exciting note i don't no not more exciting because this this book is exciting i'm excited to see the world react to it in in a little bit but on a more uplifting note how about that yeah you sort of finished out your first reluctant royals arc and are going to also be
1: doing a spinoff series is that yeah um so the spinoff series is the runaway royals which i know i'm going to confuse all the time i constantly confuse reluctant royals runaway royals loyal league (laughs) i need series that sound more different than these ones do uh, but, so runaway royals is a spinoff um there will be appearances from people from characters in the reluctant Royals series in some of the books the first book is called how to catch a queen and it features two characters who we met in the reluctant Royals series shanti who makes A very brief appearance in a princess in theory and a slightly longer appearance uh, for a chapter in A Prince on Paper. And Sanyu, who is her husband, um, and when we meet them in A Prince on Paper, they are unhappily married. Mm -hmm. So in How to Catch a Queen, we learn more about their marriage, which is uh, it was an arranged marriage. Sanyu, his father has, you know, to become king, his father has just passed away. Um, He is now king of this very isolated African kingdom that kind of in reaction to finally kicking out their colonizers withdrew and also was punished by, you know, other countries in the world, but reacted by withdrawing and becoming kind of isolated from the rest of the world. And so Shanti, who is from Thessalon, which is the kingdom and a princess in theory, uh, she the, it, the basic tropes are it's like, you know, an arranged marriage, marriage of convenience type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also based on the Bluebeard fairy tale, a, a take on the Bluebeard fairy tale, because in this kingdom, the king, there are marriage trials. The king usually marries a woman stays married for about four months or so, then she moves on and he gets a new wife. Huh. And so Shanti has been trying to be queen. Her goal since she was a little girl growing up on this goat farm has been to be a queen because to her a queen symbolizes power in a way of helping people Mm -hmm. in a way that, uh, other jobs don't. And, you know, he's like, you did all this just to become, you could have had another job. And she's like, why should I not do what I want to do? I want to be a queen. Uh, (laughs) but, But basically, and it's also kind of like the Laird takes a wife trope. It's kind of a play on like, um, I really love medieval highland romances Mm -hmm. so it's like a modern play on um he is a a king in the african highlands and kind of she shows up you know she is from a country that's very different she has definite ideas about what she wants to do but the king the country is how it is it's been run by his father for 50 years Mm -hmm. um it's been run by the council for 50 years and it's kind of just you know to look at you know, arranged marriage, marriage, also governance, right? <laughs> which for me was like the really hard part. I was like, oh, I'm going to write this like fun, like married couple romance. And I was like, oh, I have to figure out how to run a kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I just have to solve the problem of good governance, I, which hopefully I did for the story at least. But yeah, and so you can he, tell everyone else how it's done. <laughs> Hopefully. So yeah, in the story, he has kind of been raised his entire life to know that he has to take on this role and be this, the man that his father was, except he doesn't want to be king. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't want all of that responsibility. He has anxiety. At this point, he is like terrified of making a mistake and undoing everything that his father and the council have done. And so she shows up. He's also not trying to get attached to someone he's only gonna be around for four months. Right. So, <laughs> after a lifetime of, you know, these queens coming and going, including his mom. Yeah, so it's basically like, in the end, I'd say it's more contemporary romance than romantic comedy. And it's just about um, these people but, and so Shanti also is like, not romantic. She's like, I'm here to be a queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and so there, it was kind of fun playing with these ideas of like, she's not like trying to make him love her. And he also is kind of like, well, why don't you want to make me love you? Like, and them trying to figure out what is good governance? Uh, what are they to one another? What is a king to his subjects? And kind of, you know, it's also look at all different kinds of relationships. Um, and yeah, I like it. <laughs> I, I was, as I was writing it, I was like, oh, why did I do this? But, you know, after reading the final product, I, as a reader, enjoyed it. So hopefully other people do too. It sounds
0: like I will, because I have been really drawn to stories about married couples recently, like romances involving couples that just like, need to figure everything out so that they can continue to be married <laughs> or and or I mean, move on happily together Which whichever road they take
1: uh and I'm interested in these two I mean I'm married and I feel like a lot of you know most romance is about that first you know heady rush of people falling in love which I also enjoy obviously mm-hmm. I've written so many of them <laughs> but I also want To read about different relationship experiences Mm -hmm. of people of different stages in their lives. In this book, they do care about each other. They are attracted to one another. So it's not exactly a second chance romance, but it kind of is a second chance romance because they only have a month left in their agreement. But yeah, so I kind of wanted to explore the dynamics of like different relationship dynamics Mm -hmm. um, apart from people who can just walk away from one another easily, more Mm -hmm. easily. Yeah. So that was a really fun aspect of it. Kind of getting to explore, you know, these things that wouldn't come up for people who are just dating, who don't live in the same place. So it's like they're getting to know each other and how to catch a queen, but they also have all of these expectations of what marriage is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And they each of them has their own expectations and them figuring out what their marriage will be. And if they will remain married, number one, and if they do what their marriage will be in the same way, they are trying to figure out what good governance will be. So kind of just all of the ways relationships play out between people.
0: And where better to find that than in books that center those relationships. So I think we have talked a lot about your books releasing in the next several months when no one is watching, which comes out in September, a thriller, which we can all recover from with how to catch a queen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Where can people find you if they want to know more about you, if they want to vaguely stalk you a little bit
1: um you can find me you can go to my website which is alissacole.com I've been much better about updating it than I was in the past so you can at least see the next books coming out um, (laughs) and how to order them uh you can also find their um information about my newsletter that I do which is the girls with glasses newsletter which if you've read my novella can't escape love it one of the characters ran a nerdy website called girls with glasses it is open to anyone not just girls with glasses <laughs> and basically i try to send it out monthly i have not for the past two months just because uh you know life life <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically it's you know just random thoughts things that i have found interesting interviews with other authors or nerdy people So if you enjoy those kinds of things, you can subscribe to the newsletter. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alyssa Cole lit on both mediums. You will find me talking about chickens probably. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I'm on Facebook, but I, I never go there. I probably should do that, but I don't, I, I don't know when I last updated it.
0: There's only so much any of us can do,
1: (laughs) (laughs) but I am there. But if you try to friend me and I don't respond, it's because I have not looked at Facebook in many a moon.
0: Excellent. Well, maybe not excellent, but wonderful information for all of us. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so looking forward to the next several months of Alyssa Cole celebration. Um, <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to know more about Tucson Festival of Books or where you can find more of these wonderful conversations with authors, you can Find us on our website, TucsonFestivalOfBooks.org, where you can also subscribe to our newsletter and find us on all of the social media, Tucson Festival of Books on Instagram and at TFOB on Twitter. Thanks again to Alyssa and Alyssa's Chicken. (laughs) And we'll see you soon. (laughs)